2020 has been a year of loss, in every conceivable form. Nearly 1.5 million people have died from COVID-19. Millions more have struggled with their health. We've all lost our routines, our plans. Many have lost their livelihoods. We've lost a whole world, really. For every mention of the new normal, I guess on some level we're grieving the old normal, which... I mean, we'll never really come back. We'll never have a pre-pandemic life again. I've thought a lot about how we talk about death in this past year. I wanted to bring it to the podcast somehow, and I, I got in touch with morticians and psychologists and people who write about death, and nothing quite worked out, and it didn't quite fit the more exploratory conversation about death that I wanted to have. So when my former colleague, Becky Barnes, suggested that I get in touch with today's guest, Ches Dunford, I unexpectedly found the perfect person to speak to about grief. Ches Dunford is a singer, songwriter, artist and performer. She is working on an ongoing project called Grief Notes, which is why I initially got in touch with her to for this episode, but we talk about other things, as always. Grief Notes is a commission from the Hope Support Services and Hospice UK to break down the stigma around hospice's death and dying amongst young people who've experienced the loss of a parent or parents who have a terminal diagnosis. That's all to say, Chez has been working in the world of death and grief and has some really beautiful insights into how we can cope with it. Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. Chez is the kind of guest I dreamed of having on the show. You know, a singer, storyteller, someone who's ready to dig into really sometimes taboo ideas of grief and death with me, a stranger, and to fill that conversation with love and compassion and joy. She's the kind of guest that I had in mind for you, the audience, you know, someone who almost all of you would never really get a chance to meet Chez or even see her work. What a joy to get to spend some time with her and to be reminded kind of of the what I think of as like the Chezes of the world, these people who are making music and they're telling stories and they are engaged in their communities and they're binding people together with their art. Um, I just, I'm fascinated by people like that. I just, and I think you don't normally find them because not to shade <laughs> everyone in social media, including myself, but you know, um, they're there doing the work and you might never see them. And it's just such a gift of the internet to be able to reach out to them and be able to just get a little glimmer of their shine and to be able to share that little glimmer with you all is kind of my great joy. So throughout the episode, you're going to hear some of Chez's music from her album Of Forest, um, which she gave me permission to use in the podcast. I've linked to it in the show notes if you want to hear some more. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe or follow um, however you get your podcasts. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please, please leave me a rating and a review. They really do make a big difference. And if you're not a rate and review kind of person, um, a share on social media would really mean the world to me. Um, it really helps uh, for people just to know that I'm jamming on this little corner of the internet. But mostly, as always, just thank you so much for your support. 
so now into my conversation with Chez. And uh, before we got into the big meaty topic of grief, I just wanted to ask Chez a bit more about her background and how she came to do the work that she does. Thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller. I want to start by asking everyone if they consider themselves storytellers. And I, I am assuming you sort of a quintessential storyteller. Hello, Lisa. That's a great question. Um, I think traditionally I would say I'm not a storyteller because of the archetype of what I grew up thinking of what a storyteller is and was. And as I've sort of grown into my practice, I've realised that yeah, of course I'm a storyteller. I don't necessarily stand up and use words in a beginning, middle and end story format, narrative, but I definitely all my practice is based in stories and storytelling. Oh, I love that. So, yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> um, so obviously, I mean, you've done so many things and I, I have so many things that I want to ask you, like especially Clowns Without Borders, I didn't even know that was a thing. But could you tell us a little bit about this journey as a storyteller, like the first the first thing you got into and how it led up to where you are now? Yeah, so I've always been uh, a mover and I think my, uh, my background in dance and physical theatre really informs how I make work and how I run and facilitate sessions. So everything comes from the body and I think we have this innate, innate wisdom in our bodies that when you let the mind relax we we, everything we need to know is in our bodies Mm -hmm. and I think we experience the world through through our bodies and then how did I get into storytelling I just loved making theatre I went to a really amazing youth theatre in Gloucestershire called Barnstorm and was just led by some really inspiring women in theatre practice and they made it fun basically anything's possible if you have a curiosity in in the themes of what you're wanting to work with yeah and I'd be curious like so I'm assuming when you were at the theatre company you were a, a, a teenager would that have been around that age exactly yeah and did yeah. you did you just feel like that was a way that you could express yourself well or was that where like you found your friends I'd just be curious I'm re- really interested in like how some people find let's just say like in my background would have been doing drama at school found that really 
an excellent like this amazing way to express themselves and then other people like me who can be like really loud and really extroverted completely froze when I got into that situation and I was like this is the worst and then I meet other people and they're like that was the best space that they had at school it was the only place where they felt like they could relax so yeah I'd be really interested to hear about what it was about it that kind of like pulled you in I think when a session is when you feel safe um and held in a space you you can go to all areas of yourself and I think that's the that's the sort of trick and that's what how I run sessions is I always start by saying everybody is welcome exactly as you are and sometimes you might not want to do something you might not want to do an activity and that's also okay and I I don't believe in forcing people into doing things if they don't want to do it so I always make a safe space for people like a physical place in a room where they can go and be and I request that um, you stay present in the room but you don't have to physically be part of the exercise it's as useful to watch what's going on you learn a lot from observation Mm -hmm. So were you yourself, were you were you shy or did that immediately just, was, was that space really natural to you, something that you found really easy to sort of slide into? Yeah, I don't think, I, I would say I'm a little bit shy, but I think if you ask anybody that knows me or any of my family, they'd say the absolute opposite. I'm just trying to channel my dad's words. I think I was always sort of pushing the edges of boundaries I remember that a story came up, <laughs> my dad told me. Um, I was trying to learn how to skateboard and we also had a scooter and I was like a toddler, so like maybe three or four and I put them at the top of a hill, one foot on a skateboard and one foot on a <laughs> scooter to go down the hill. So I think I've always had that um, <laughs> capacity to... To, to, <laughs> to push and see yeah push and see and I think yeah. that that sort of quality is what we need when we're working in the creative industry you need to sort of push and see and be like oh will this work and how will it be if we do this and I think that's where that's dis- that's a space of discovery hmm. for, nice. for me yeah. And could you tell me a bit about um, Clowns Without Borders? Just because I found it so, I just didn't even know it existed. Mm. So I just was so fascinated to see that. Yeah. So the I work with Performers Without Borders, which is a very similar okay. concept to Clowns Without Borders. Um, but it's a UK-based charity. And they've been running for maybe 14 years. So the tours are really established. I first met them seven years ago I think and um yeah it's a social circus charity and the concept is every child has the right to access play so it stems out of the the children's rights act and we will do a series of performances and a series of workshops and then the young people will do performances so we're using performing arts as a tool for connecting and as a tool for playing out the stories that need to be played out and some of that um, more specifically in the tours that I've run in Calais and Dunkirk with refugee communities a lot of the play the children are doing they're needing to sort of 
play out things that they've seen and activities that they're experiencing day to day in a way that allows them to be free as a young child. And there was a gentle soul of mild inquiring mind who came into this neighbourhood. It's wonders for to find. Last week's episode with Lama Rod Owens was all about anger. And what I learned from that conversation is how anger is often an expression of deep pain and sometimes a reaction to grief. So while last week was all about anger, um, this week I wanted to ask Chez what she knows about grief. I just wanted to start off, if you could just tell me a little bit about um, grief notes because I, I think this was why I was so excited to speak to you when I saw it was I had been thinking a lot about grief and loss and in the kind of abstract and very real ways it's been showing up in our lives this year. Um, so yeah, if you could just tell me, tell us all about um, grief notes and, and how it started and where it's going now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We we are doing a lot of collective grieving in our communities, uh, locally, nationally, globally. And I think it's something that we, we shouldn't shy away from talking about. So thank you for bringing this topic to, to light uh, in another form. And I think there's lots of people that are starting to um, talk about grief in in a way that it's not a taboo. So I think the more we can have positive conversations around processing grief, the more that we can process grief and not hide it away and feel shameful or we're doing it wrong or um, it's something that isn't good because I think grief is really powerful and it's going to happen. It's happening. Mm. So that's sort of the heart of where grief notes came from um maybe this process started a year and a half ago with this particular project so i am an associate artist with wildwood arts who do beautiful community work and connection work and i was collaborating with rachel adams who set up the organization wildwood and we were making other shows and doing other community work, lots of intergenerational work, drama and music and movement. And we were having a meeting one day and we were talking about um, the show that we had been talking about. And she was like, this, this show's about you and your story, isn't it? And I had this sort of tummy drop moment where I was like, I can't hide behind a character in in this story anymore Mm -hmm. I I need to tell the story of my grief and the story of what it was like to to grow up after the age of eight without a mother and Mm -hmm. I thought that in that moment where Rachel saw me in my vulnerability I was like oh I'm ready I'm ready 24 years later Mm. to to take this story and use it as a catalyst for a creative project so 
that began with um, we had a lovely um, we got a commission from Hospice UK and Hope Support Services who work with young people from the moment of diagnosis through to the moment of death and beyond of a close family member. So we connected with them and I started running, I think it was bi-weekly sessions, drop-in sessions, whoever wanted to come. I think it was like 11 to 25 year olds were welcome. So Hope Support Services run groups anyway. So we started this special drama, music, play, movement session. We did a whole series of things like writing, game playing, um, making music, writing songs, making physical theatre, you name it, we tried Mm. it. And then in November, we, we decided that we wanted to have a set group of young people who committed to a devising process. So between November and January, we had a group of five young people and we created a piece of theatre directed by Rachel Adams and facilitated by myself and supported by Hope Services. And we created a script together. So I I sort of facilitated a devising process and we drew out stories from each other and we did writing, we did solo work, we did group work, we did pair work, we responded to the spaces we were in, we worked outside in the spaces that were around us in derelict evening time business (laughs) centre. And um, we played with shadows. um, And then we performed this piece. So we had sort of a deadline for this piece, which is often quite good when you're devising because you you can you can play forever but it's good to be like okay let's play and then let's let's draw some threads out of this and then I I went off and wrote a script out of everything that we had been um all the material that we'd been creating and then Rachel came in and directed us with this script and we performed it as part of Hope's 10th anniversary celebrations for uh, lots of their delegates and supporters at the Courtyard Theatre in Hereford. And that was at the end of January this year, 2020. Yeah. Like so many things, the project was interrupted with the start of the pandemic. Um, And so like many brilliant creatives in this country and across the world, um, Chez and her team have adapted the theatre project from um, being uh, what they what they were hoping for it to be was to turn into a one woman show that they could share at care homes and hospices um, throughout the country alongside workshops. But um, they're adapting now and they're going to turn Grief Notes into a radio play, which will be able to reach all the people that they want to reach, um, but obviously much more safely and maybe even a wider audience than they were expecting. It's not out just yet, but I will tweet it out and put it out on social media the moment it is. So next up, I asked Chez about how grief showed up in the participants of her workshop. And I share my own story of dealing with death during the pandemic. 
I must go down to the seas again to the lonely sea and the sky and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by and the wheels kick and the wind song and the white sail shaking and the grey mist on the sea's face and the grey dawn breaking so you know in terms of the workshop like i'd be really interested to know like you said you know the body having this knowledge and 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 this expression coming through the body how how did you see grief showing up in the in in your body and in the body of the the younger people who were working with you mm, great question how do i see it it's sort of not visible but it's felt mm. does that make sense yeah um i think often when someone's sad we have this these shoulders lift and the heart sort of Mm -hmm. concaves a little bit and it's sort of that feeling of wanting to be a little bit invisible is one manifestation the the other manifestation is people sort of squash all that down and then they put on this big brave exterior that's sort of heart chest big proud like um I don't know, like a lion, I suppose. Yeah, that yeah. sort of swaggering around. Um, so it's sort of like look at look at the exterior, but don't look at what's actually going on mm. underneath. Um, and then everything in between those two places yeah. is yeah. also. Because um, you think I, I mean I don't think it's specifically British thing. I think it's probably like a Western thing, which is we we just we obviously just really struggle with death and how to speak about it and how to process it. And I've been thinking about it a lot this year because outside of the, um, the 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 grief and the trauma that is everywhere, there has been obviously a lot of death um, and a lot of people having to, you know, not attend funerals and not be with their families and all these sort of – I've always felt that the Western um, rituals are very thin to begin with. Like there's not a lot really there to support you. Maybe you have a funeral and a wake, maybe – um, so then losing that link um, was quite interesting. And I'll just share a story just just out of mm. out of um, just just to illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, my grand passed away and I, I had to watch the. So then, you know, so you go through the whole thing of being like, I can't be with my family. I can't get on a plane. This has all happened. Fine. Um, and then I sort of came to peace with that. And then they were like, oh, we've set up a Zoom thing so you can watch it. So I was like, oh, um. So it sort of went from being like, okay, with not being there to being like, okay, I guess I will be there. And then, you know, started watching it. And then there were some technical difficulties. And I just sat there and I was like, this is horrible. I was like, this is actually almost worse. Like, I'd, I wish I had just had the peace of not being there because it was so, it was such a new and strange experience. And then it all got so- sorted out and I had a laugh and all this sort of stuff. But I just thought it was so funny because we, you know, 
we just culturally don't have these mechanisms to to deal with death. Um, so I guess I, I'm asking, what am I asking? <laughs> mm. um, I'm asking how how people showed up in these workshops considering this discomfort that we have around death and around grief. And yeah, any reflections you have on how, how we cope with it, I guess, as a, I'll sort of roughly say a Western slash British mm. culture. Thank you for sharing your story, firstly. Um, I think it's, I think that's a real, it's a big, it's a big thing around not being able to be with family at this time or being in the 30 people and how to navigate all of that. I think it's really, really tricky. And I think there's something about um, contact that's, Mm like physical contact that maybe we're, maybe you're right we're a bit weird about all of that having contact and having contact with someone that's dying um in our in sort of western culture it's sort of like we have this bizarre notion of um that, that we're not going to die like there's a lot mm-hmm. of fear around dying and that i hear but I don't feel that as an individual. I, I, I feel quite philosophical. It's like, yes, we're, I'm alive now and everybody is going to die. And mm. I don't find that scary. Um, but I appreciate that that is a very, 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 very common theme among people, that it's that great unknown of mm. but what will happen. And I think... Part of me is like, we need to sort of spend a little bit of time wondering about what happens when you die. And also part of me is like, just don't worry about it. It's going to happen. Just enjoy the day to day and the small things in in each day in the positive, a positive moment, even amidst all the <laughs> chaos when mm-hmm. you might be a muddy puddle weeping on the floor is to find humour in it. Yeah. For me, that that's what I find really helpful in in running these sessions and in processing my own grief is using humor to to connect mm-hmm. with the realities of life and death because there are some hilarious moments that happen in end of life care and they're sort of also really awful but if you just had them as really awful then then it would just be really awful and yes there's lots of like personal care stuff that you just have to do and but there's also lots of funny moments and slips and accidents and language and words that come out um that you Mm. you know depending on how somebody dies there's there can often be whole personality changes um with dementia for example or um in there's some there's some I'd like to find out the science of what happens in the brain when then like oxygen is becomes decreased I think people sort of become a bit more lucid and there's this sort of phase of lucidity and I'm just thinking of my grandma when she died. <laughs> she came out with some hilarious things that were so out of character. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, I find laughter 
is greatly helpful when you're processing grief and death Mm. and well not just that I just think laughter is a great medicine for Mm. um for everything but I love that you said that because also just recently in 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 instances around grief and loss there has been there has been laughter and I think maybe just being a bit older I've sort of been much more relaxed with that laughter and that joy because I think maybe when I was younger I thought I'm not allowed to laugh and laughing's bad somehow and you, and you sort of think in these spaces that you need to be sort of uh, uh, what's the word Act, acting out that grief and performing that grief for other people I just loved that part of the conversation I I just really want all of us to be able to talk about death more to know that we're safe in each other's hands when we express the sort of complexity of emotions that come up and I know that might sound a bit morbid but this is what I'm thinking I think too often we can easily ignore death our death the death of the people that we love for years on end and I get it that in a lot of cultures it's taboo to talk about death and a lot of people who are religious will have you know their own um understanding of what happens when you die but I think if you don't and I think if you if you don't make space to think about it and you you are lucky enough to have long periods of time when there's no death, when it visits your doorstep, and it will visit all of our doorsteps time and again, we can spend a lot of emotional energy coping with the idea of death, the shock of it, alongside mourning the person who's passed. I believe and I hope that becoming more comfortable culturally with expressing our feelings, our ideas and our fears around death, that when these times come, we'll have a bit more emotional flexibility to both absorb and deal with the shock of death and the inevitability of death, as well as mourning the person that we've lost. So I asked Chez for exercises we can do when grief does show up in our lives. One of my favorite revolutions, personal revolutions of 2020, which is the transformative power of play. Thing, being older and, and feeling a bit more comfortable in myself I'm like yeah this it, it, people are gonna laugh and then maybe 10 minutes from now we'll all be crying but like it's completely fine to laugh you know at inappropriate things to make inappropriate jokes like it just happens and it's, it just carries that energy of whatever process you're going mm. through in such a beautiful way I find I totally agree and I think there's something um that you have to consider like if if you are around somebody's deathbed what what is it that they would want to be hearing and it might be they would like quiet or they would like music or they don't want to hear the family arguing Mm. unless that's comforting for some people that might be comforting (laughs) and normal but I think um I did some soul midwifery training last year with the company I started it is that what they call like death doulas is that the same yeah similar concept Mm -hmm. and it's just a really beautiful um concept that could you explain a bit for people who oh sorry I'm I'm talking over you (laughs) for people who don't know what it is yeah so 
it's the, it's the same role that somebody has as a midwife you you birth babies so it's somebody that's holding an end of life process for for the family and for the person that's dying and that can be whatever the family needs and wants so there's no sort of formula it's it can be you're making the room calm or you're putting the right music on or you're using any of the practices that you're doing as well you know massage or singing or um holding a ceremony or a ritual for for that moment of death so it's sort of supporting it to be a ritual rather than um a, a taboo or a um uncomfortable it's sort of mm. making it into a thing rather than it being awkward mm, mm. that was what I took from it anyway yeah I love <laughs> and that. I think there's something there's something really in that process of going from life to death that it is really beautiful mm. I think there's there's a moment that you can see in 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 a body it's like they're, they're gone and depending what you know what you think about afterlife and that is probably a whole of a podcast interview <laughs> and I also don't really know what what I think about it either I like I like the idea of many things um but I don't know I don't know and I think mm. there's something about sitting and not knowing not knowing what's going to happen and I think that's particularly poignant right now is we don't know what's going to happen next month next mm. week next year and we're really not practiced at being comfortable with not knowing and mm. I think that's why there's such high levels of anxiety and depression and fear because mm -hmm. we're so out of practice of not knowing and I wonder how we can invite in more sort of breath around uncertainty and it's like we can get through this and I suppose it's how how can we cope and how can we look after ourselves so that we can look after our families and our neighbours and our communities and the places of work and the bigger sense of community? Well, actually, I maybe should have asked you this before. Um, for people listening, if they're listening and they're like, this sounds like something they would want to like process or go through. Are there any exercises from from the workshops that people could do at home by themselves? I know it's not it's not the same as being with other people, but maybe even if there's just one thing that people could take away to after this just, you know, sit and, and use to process or think about their grief a little bit. Yeah. Let me think. What what's a good one? I think the 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 one that's the most accessible is speed writing. So you just get a pen and paper and you just, you don't take your pen off the paper. You put a timer on for however long, one minute, three minutes, five minutes or 10 minutes or, and you just write and you don't censor. So you just let the pen go. And it's, it's another one of those activities that you relax your mind and you just let let the pen do the writing and let come out what needs to come out and there's no pressure you don't even have to read it 
you don't, definitely don't have to show it to anybody <laughs> but you can and it, it can I, I find yeah pay go in, go to the page go to the pen um put on some nice music and just write and it could be what you're feeling or what you're seeing or what you wanted to happen and it could be an apology it can be um just a big list of words saying fart 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 <laughs> fart if you want if that's what you need to to process you think yeah. or poo or you know whatever <laughs> words <laughs> pandemic pandemic, could be something... pandemic pandemic exactly yeah could be something more sophisticated could be something and you can you'll surprise yourself mm. sometimes sometimes words come out and you're like oh, I didn't know I knew that word or oh that's interesting that's how I'm feeling or you know mm. you can you can rewrite events on the page because it's you and your imagination and I think that's the power of um theatre and, and plays that you can can go anywhere and yeah that's possible yeah well that's a great segue onto play because that's um I, I would love to just talk so I had on um Harry Baker who's a poet and we we got to speak a little bit about playfulness and the power of play and um just what what I sort of summarized of what I said was um realizing only very recently you know I think I always just thought seriousness grief the news you know this, this world that I was in you know it let's just mm. say it weighed, it weighed 100% and play and hope and joy weight was nice but it weighed like 20% on the other side and I think my realization of the deep power that those forces held and that it was as strong as, if not as strong as those other forces in the world. Um, so obviously that's a world that you're very engaged in. So I'd just love to hear about your own philosophy of play mm. and why we need it. Yeah. For me, it it helps me to process all the things that I'm receiving in the news and from people um so it's sort of a way of letting it move through your body and your soul and your mind um physically moving it so I think I do a lot of movement play and I think there's something about letting it move through your body and then you're not storing it because it you're going to feel that storage later whether it's in a day or a year or 10 years and that's those storages are what will then give you pain and discomfort eventually. So if you're able to be brave enough to sit with your feelings and sometimes feel uncomfortable with your feelings, <laughs> then you can let that pass through you because it's not forever, but it's when you ignore them and when you um, block. I think I did a lot of blocking, a lot of numbing, of emotions and grief mm. for many years and I think that's why I feel really passionate about sharing workshops with young people as they're in in the trauma of the initial stages of grief because that's something that um I want to offer because I understand mm -hmm. what it's like to feel that in my bones and yeah. I've had my personal process of shaking it out and I'm still in that process for sure. And I don't think, I think there's this myth that um, grief goes away. 
and I think it doesn't you you just sort of you grow bigger with it or around it mm. but I think when mm. when you have had such love for somebody that doesn't go away and I don't think it should go away I think I think you just grow more love for more things and more people in in the world mm, that's the hope that. On a good day, yeah. on a good day, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also like you know, um, I've I've seen in my life, um, people. It's really interesting. It's been an ex. I'd say like in exercise situations or in yoga. And I'm not like a huge yogi, but it is really fascinating. I feel like I've seen that a few times when people will move their body in a certain way, and then just be overwhelmed with with grief. And it, and it's it's really fascinating because I think the first time I saw it was in a yoga class and thank goodness the yoga teacher handled it brilliantly. Um, but it was so, and I remember talking to the the girl afterwards and she just said it came out of nowhere. Like she, was, she wasn't even thinking about um, what, like this trauma that she'd had. And she literally just moved her body in a particular way. And it's almost like, like it got unblocked, like a drain or something. And I just think that's so fascinating and and powerful and yeah so that again I'm sort of thinking more like realizing more that like play and being in your body might have all these other things that maybe we haven't we don't either a don't know about or b just haven't been focusing enough on of like how we look Mm. after ourselves yeah that's really exciting I think we we've sort of become very heady in our culture that we have to we have to make decisions from the mind and I don't know how to do that because I make all my decisions from the body because I trust my body. <laughs> so I'm sort of mm. uh, upside down or the other way, the inside out or, you know. And I think there's something in um, yoga that's deeply powerful, potentially deeply powerful. It can it can be a form of exercise, but there's also lots of um, ways in. And, you know, there's there's oodles of research around it but you could also just say it's magic. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I have to overthink so part, everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did um, a few years ago. I retrained, or I added another string to the bow of um, doing massage therapy, and I've had the privilege of working with loads of people and physically experiencing this sort of shared shifting of energy and blockages and you know after treatment there'll be often big tears and it's you know you don't need to go into the why or the story behind that because that's what you might do in a psychotherapy session but what massage therapy does is the physical of unblocking um the body and that's totally connected with the mind and that's what yoga is all about is connecting the mind and the body so I think if you're open to these practices, they can be deeply powerful. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to share some of Jez's beautiful music with you uh, before we roll into our conclusion. Silver birch dance, the last dance over. This path bites and flaws another 
of space and time alike. Leave be, leave be, let the growth be from the ground. Leave be, leave be, the sun to shake her sound. Of this land to care and look and love For bread is tree, surrender your knees to ground To way up above And sing me, sing me The sound of the wind in the trees Sing me, sing me in harmony We must believe Okay, so you told me you told me a little bit about your plans moving forward. Um, so, I mean, for anyone who wants to, well, I guess we'll have we'll have to keep our eyes open for the radio play. And if you share that with me as soon as it's ready, I can I'll send it to everyone who's 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 on on these channels. Um, if anyone wants to find you or follow your work, is there any way where they can sort of check you out or any channels that they should be keeping an eye on? Yeah. So one of the um thoughts I've been having in response to what's going on and is this world of doing online work it works so it would be lovely to if people were really captured by this sort of work I can offer one-to-one sessions or run sessions with groups if if they're able to get a group of people together um, and you can follow me on Facebook under Ches Theatre Moves um, okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on Storyteller. Um, I so enjoyed this. Like, I, I you know, I, I wanted to speak about grief and I couldn't really sort of thought a few different ways in and this was just a lovely way to be able to, to speak through it. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Yeah, power to processing. Thanks again to Chez for such a compassionate and exploratory conversation. You can find her Facebook page, her website and her music in the show notes. Um, Go check her out. Amazing, amazing, uh, full-hearted human being. Thank you to everyone who reached out to me after Lama Rod's interview last week. It's always so nice to hear from you. We've got two episodes left of the show for the season and then I'm going to be starting season two in the new year. Um, and maybe only super fans will notice that the episode is out a bit late today and I wanted to tell you why. So um, in the, the previous times, the before times, I had made a decision to go freelance and I went freelance in March right as the pandemic kicked off, which is to say probably at the worst time ever because my main work is as a filmmaker, like a videographer, and to do my job I need to be out in the world with people. So yeah, it wasn't the best timing. Um, But becoming my own boss was really important to me for a number of reasons and one of them was the ability to have a bit more control over my time. And yes, hopefully in most jobs you can step away for emergencies, but sunny days, lazy mornings, bad periods, these are all sort of not traditional reasons that you can step away from your work and fair, like if you have a team and you need to work together, you can't just sort of not be there. But you know, this morning, I woke up to something that I've never seen before, which was snow-covered mountains and snow covering the beach where I'm staying now from my current little cosy cottage in the highlands of Scotland. So 
I literally felt like a kid on Christmas morning. It was so beautiful. I haven't ever seen anything like it in my life. And while I have no colleagues to pass my work on to, and it wasn't exactly an emergency, I didn't get this episode done in time. (laughs) And I spent the morning just in wonder, like crunching through these icy streets through this little village and like being blinded by the sunlight reflecting off the snow it was just so wonderful and it was such a joy and I I, want to just take a moment to to say I didn't do what I was supposed to do on time but it was such a wonderful reason so I thought I would share it with you and um I've posted a reel to my Instagram to the to the storyteller Instagram so you can have a little look at the the morning that I walked into and I know I know you guys would have abandoned all your plans as well. (laughs) Um, You know, making something on your own is is a bit tricky because, um, you know, you're so close to it and it can be hard to see the wood for the trees, I guess, a bit when you're in it. So um, I'm really open to constructive criticism because, you know, I guess also like most people, you can kind of let the desire for it to be perfect overwhelm you and then you just don't do it at all <laughs> that's how I do it um and you know what like everyone else I'm I'm pretty burnt out from this year um but I'm looking forward to taking some time to rest and I also I mean I have about a hundred thoughts a day about how I can make this podcast better for all of you um so I hope I can enact some of those in the new year uh but please reach out if you give me some feedback it'll give me a better idea which of those ideas to move forward with and yeah feedback feedback um I just want to say like it does mean a lot to me um you know like all of us last week I was having a bit of a down day I was having a down day I was thinking oh my god, like my interview style is so like unpolished and I'm always mumbling and I'm sort of go off in these long tangents and my voice is just so annoying and as much as these topics are so interesting to me and this is how my brain works, I dart all over the place, I want to speak to all these different themes and all these different people. It's not exactly a recipe for success in podcasting in a crowded market, you know, the general wisdom should be that I should just pick one thing and stick to it and get a niche. Um, so I was beating myself up a little bit and at that moment a listener Elizabeth M reached out to me on Instagram just to say how much she was enjoying the podcast how she loved the themes and that she liked my voice which is so funny how the universe it was almost like it kind of went oh you're having these thoughts here's a counterweight to these thoughts so I mean that really just gave my heart the little boost it needed um, to keep going so Thank you, Elizabeth, and thank you to all of you who give me feedback. It, it really it really helps. So as usual, on that note, you can reach out to me um, on storytellerpod at gmail.com. Love a good email. And on social media, you can just search Storyteller Podcast and my name, Lisa Golden, because I've got a few different <laughs> handles, again. Uh, not like the most optimized way of pushing the stuff forward, but there you go. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, and there'll be links in the show notes if you don't want to just search for them. And yeah, guys, uh, until next time for the last interview of the year. And then the very last episode will be a wrap on the season. So until next time.